I'm Dan Walters. And I'm Anthony Peters. This is the No Ideas Podcast. Welcome to episode three of the No Ideas Podcast. In this episode, we spoke to John Bond, who is an illustrator, an artist and an author. Uh, we jumped on the train from Brighton down to Worthing on the tiny little train, wasn't it? Two carriages. Yeah, two carriages. Nearly missed our connection because we were so deep in conversation about the interview. That's right. Uh, notes. And then arrived in Worthing, walked through the town centre, had a checked out all the Art Deco buildings so down there, much. which is amazing. Have you been to Worthing before? No. Me neither. I mean, it's just chock-a-block full of Art Deco mm. beauty. Um, I, I'd never even knew that it was that big a city, no. to be honest. Need to go back. Definitely, definitely, because there's just so much creative stuff going on there yeah. as well, which is, um, especially in Colonnade House, which is where John's studio was, yeah. right? Who else have we got in Colonnade House? Uh, so there's Persistent Peril. Yeah, like an amazing animator. animation. And we team, met yeah. um, John's studio uh, studio mate, Sarah Redmonds. Who's a brilliant Which is amazing. We well. talked to her a bit about her work as well. Um, so we then set up, sat down with John, looked through his, his work, his archive, uh, and then when we were ready to go, we decided at that point we were just going to go out and grab some lunch so that John's uh, tummy rumbling didn't get in the way of the interview. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's really close to the beach in Worthing, so we just sat on the rocks, kind of just chatted, pre, pre-podcast chat, and uh, had a sandwich. It was, <laughs> it was a, a, another one of those moments when we didn't want to actually come back to a warm yeah. studio. But we did. We got a really in-depth interview about John's work and his background living on a farm and uh, his process and some of the, the, the issues he's had during his career or getting to where he is now. Um, but after that, we went out and had a few drinks. Yeah, with the guys from Hello Dodo and uh, the guys that are also in Colonnade House with him. And there we, was a moment, wasn't there? There was a moment. We which, topped which, off the which night. only the three of us saw. We just, we had to, <laughs> I mean, I'm not even sure we should be sharing this insight, but we had to go back and get our bags from the studio. The studio's all shut down and it's late at night and we're all a little bit tipsy, a bit mm. tired and emotional. And then for some reason, just uh, John launches into playing to- <laughs> Toxic by Britney Spears. That's right, isn't it? And that, that at was, full volume. At full volume. And as a good old dance, we're all there doing like the tremolo arm guitar. <laughs> and uh, then off into the night, he said, bid us farewell. And, and I think we were both a bit spun out laughing from about It was beautiful. So we're never going to hear that song the same ever again. Um, so yeah, so enjoy the show. And then after you finish, maybe listen to Toxic just for good measure. <laughs> John Bond is a character designer, animator, illustrator and director living and working in Worthing on the South Coast. His work has featured in animations, commercials, games, books, murals and more and his client list includes the BBC, British Gas, Disney, Mr Men, MTV, Channel 4 and Oh Dear. We're excited to welcome him onto the show. Hey John, how you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, yeah, a pleasure to have you guys in my studio, which is a, a rare occasion. It's, uh, <laughs> and, and thanks for taking us to, uh, to the uh, local sandwich shop and to the wonderful beach, which yeah. you can actually see from your window here. Gorgeous. Yeah, would have been nice to just stay out there, really. We should have recorded just, there, really. Yeah, 
Yeah, we seem to have lucked out with the weather. Every recording we've done has been amazing, sunny days. That's not jinx. We're having a nice time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're going to start off. It seems to be a bit of a running theme for us that everyone we've spoken to appears to have like grown up on a farm. Yeah, is the same for you. Yeah, so in the Cotswolds. When I say to people where they sort of start off with the nearest big place, which was Cheltenham. Right. Probably then Sorencester. Then Bybury was the next nearest small village. The actual hamlet, half a mile down the road from that, was called Ready Token. Amazing. <laughs> that was on a, a Roman road called Aikman Street. And it was basically the big house at Ready Token right. was the words Ready Tokens at the Ready, Ready Token right. for the people to stop there for the, like the Romans oh, in their carts. Oh, to sort of Like, yeah, stop, put their horses in the stables and stay the night and... So that's where the name Ready Token came from that. What kind of farm um, was it? Uh, so it was uh, mainly an arable farm, but we had a few fields with cows and sheep. Um, and then the adjoining farms had things like horses and whatever roaming around. A relatively small farm. It was like my There was the guy that owned the farm and then my dad was like the, the next sort of in charge farmer. And we just uh, we were there until about 16 years old and then I moved see. to Bybury Village. Is that where your like love of animals kind of grew from, growing up around them? And did, were you like I, working with the animals at all? Or? Uh, not really. No, I kind of um, any kind of work on the farm was normally like, maybe like shifting some bales or right. like I didn't uh, herding cows like down the road. We'd be, like, sometimes be asked to sort of come out and just stand there to stop stop the cows going into so they'll run into you uh, Ken and Sue's garden or something (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean they were always around us and stuff my brother and I would just like on the summer holidays or whatever even just at the weekends like we would just we would just we'd have breakfast and it was like right we're off out Um, feral yeah feral feral on the farm just it was the whole acreage which i wish i knew actually um of the farm was like our kind of playground like extended garden it was just incredible we had like different bases and different woodlands and old disused sheep huts as a kind of meeting point and stuff and a little underground base which actually thinking back on it my own kids now i would not allow to go into a base that this was like (laughs) we'd sort of dug into this huge pile of earth and um, sort of got right down, I, maybe it wasn't, I don't know, when everything that you kind of think of when you were a child now, like then everything seemed really grand and big around you. And if I was to go back to it now, it would probably have just been like a tiny little <laughs> kind of channel about half an inch under the ground. But yeah, we created this underground bunker and then came back up again. And I think we had like a see-through strawberry plummet as the window. Amazing and then a bale of straw that we sort of spread out in there and kind of dug little holes into the walls and to hide little pen knives and things like that. I um, I grew but, up near Woodland as well, and we just would spend, like you say, all day. We'd leave in the morning, hang out in the woods, yeah. build um, tree houses, everything. We'd take a hammer and nails from the yeah. shed and just build stuff all day. And being parents now, it's weird, because I can't imagine letting my kids just Not disappear all. all day. Right. building tree with a hammer and some nails yeah at like 12 years old <laughs> where are you <laughs> going you with that <laughs> i mean living in a town now it's kind of where are you going with those hammer and nails <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you, the whole day you'd maybe come back for lunch obviously if you were being good and uh 
and then it was just straight out again until he called for tea and it was like I don't know there was no worry that we were going to be in any trouble yeah and occasionally we did get into like a my mum actually reminded me the other day of a story where my brother was I was trying to teach him to ride on this rickety old bike up and down the track and uh, he fell off it really hard and he he had a much bigger head than me as a child <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, he fell flat on this old dusty gravel track and like he was just knocked out cold and that was the first time I'd seen anyone like properly out and I just thought he was dead so I like <laughs> pegged it back to the house. I was like, Mom, Mom, Dad, Stuart's dead. <laughs> they were in the process of building a new greenhouse and they were there with this huge panel of glass. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> and they had to like slowly put this down somewhere and then run with me. And by which point my brother was sort of like scrabbling around in the dust with blood pouring down his face. And um, yeah, so occasionally like, <laughs> occasionally get into trouble and luckily we weren't actually too far away from home when that happened Some, the older we got we'd sort of venture further and further away and we'd sort of go off onto like the next farm and then the farm over past that but it's, it's yeah I being a father now I couldn't I can't really imagine like letting my two it's a nice way to grow roam up. that far from home like, yeah but yeah it was beautiful did you have a dog we did have a dog. The um, yeah, I mean there were there were working dogs on the farm. The first pet dog I had um, was called was a proper sheep dog, um, border collie called Jason. <laughs> and Jason was Jason got quite vicious in the end, <laughs> which is what um, I, th- I he had to be put down unfortunately because he just got very overprotective. To myself, and then my brother was born. I think, and um, yeah, and then we got a really nice little puppy. She was like a really cool mix: a Springer Spaniel, Fox Terrier, I think a bit of Pointer. What was she called? Uh, Gemma. <laughs> <laughs> Another classic. Who named these dogs? <laughs> um, so, did you draw characters as a kid? What I dr- remember drawing mainly as a kid were like farm vehicle tractors and farm machinery and my brother and my mum would like cut up pieces like cereal packets and we'd have like a little stash under the uh, next to the fish tank in the kitchen of like blank pieces of card and we would if it, if we was the weather was rubbish or something and we'd sit in at the kitchen table opposite each other and we'd get a big box of crayons and pens and we'd just have a piece of card each and we'd do these oh, very inventive net dot wheeled farms because all the tractors they were epic in sort of uh, I, I hope my mum has kept some and I because I, I'd love to see them now but they were called it was called dot wheel farm because the tractors were so small the wheels were literally sort of dots <laughs> and we would make these epic like landscapes with I mean no farm in reality would have that many tractors or bits of machinery <laughs> or People were maybe in there and animals and stuff, but it was all to do with the vehicles a lot of the time. Or I'd scale it up and I'd just do a tractor and, um, yeah, carrot. My brother got more into doing like uh, once he started reading books and things. He was very much into like drawing um, soldiers and things. I I kind of never. I steered clear of characters for a long time. It probably wasn't until I started doing 
like GCSE art and stuff where they kind of started making you paint quite realistic character like getting my friends to sort of pose in weird positions and then having to oil paint them in a lifelike manner um, but yeah ve vehicles probably animals crazy creatures and things I suppose a little bit have you returned to doing tractors at all is there a tractor <laughs> book in the pipeline <laughs> <laughs> not not yet I could surprise my publisher by <laughs> John Bond's like, tractors. Oh yeah, I think <laughs> there's there's possibly a chance of crowbarring them in here and there. Yeah. Um. So what's what's your actual earliest creative memory that springs to mind? When I was, I can't remember how old I was. Maybe three or four, and I kind of my parents took me to like this hand specialist, and they were like trying to test how well I could kind of grasp a pen. Because for anyone that doesn't know, I've got these kind of like slightly different hands that, um, and uh, yeah, they were like concerned that it was going to affect my sort of grip ability moving forwards. And um, the hands, Mr. Monaghan, which was an amazing name for this guy to have had as a hand specialist, <laughs> uh, gave me this pen one of those red barrel barrel pens you yeah. remember those ones yeah i quite specifically remember this and um he said draw what you draw something that you like to draw and my, i just naturally went to draw a tractor and i remember him saying oh i'm not even going to try and draw one because i think there was there was maybe some competition set it's like right the three-year-old against the 50 60 year old hand specialist and he saw my attempt at drawing a tractor he was like fair enough that's, Amazing, that's, good. that's brilliant. Wow! And uh, yeah, the end of the story was that I, they decided, no, you can you can draw with your hands like that. <laughs> you, <laughs> you're fine. On you go. Off you go. Amazing. And uh, so, do you have um, any memories of particularly influential family members or teachers? Some people who know me will kind of say this is a load of rubbish, but I claim <laughs> I do claim that I remember the day I was born. <laughs> <laughs> It's a pretty early memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a snapshot of the nurse that delivered me it was wearing like a pink and white gingham tabard or something. Uh, and that's but, confirmed by your, your folks? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and you can't have seen a photograph at any point? No, not at all. No. I just have this, like a, yeah, if I could print Incredible. from my brain yeah. or something. Uh, influential, like... I guess, like, my art teacher at secondary school did push, like, for me to... I mean, I, I was always into doing art, but he kind of... I think at times I sort of maybe lost faith in my ability to... In a roundabout way, yeah, he did inspire me to sort of go on and, like, really got behind me. I think he, he, he was like, you have a talent, you should definitely not mess around with that and... And that kind of into like made me do A levels in art, and then he sort of talked throughout that as well, and that just then led on to foundation. And what was his name? Uh, Mr. Edmondson. He was. He had a a lovely sort of curlyish mullet, slightly Hasselhoffy. <laughs> um, he, he was quite a character. Um, I think he he used to call us his his little cherubs or something <laughs> which <laughs> 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 um, 
Yeah, he was uh, <laughs> definitely a very passionate person. And, uh, unlike uh, one of my tutors at Foundation who just said, yeah, you're not good enough to go to Kingston University. I wouldn't bother applying. And I, I just thought that, in fact, like made me kind of more kind of empowered to sort of prove him wrong. And I was like, I think, in fact, that's, yeah, trying proving people wrong is more, like, it gives me more motivation to, so actually, I can do that. And I, and I did. I went along to the interview and got a place at Kingston. And it was, like, the most satisfying moment going back to um, my foundation course and saying to him, it was like, how did you get on with your interview? It's like, here's the uh, acceptance letter. <laughs> it was certainly just sort of turned on his heel and almost, like, okay. Were there any particular kids' books, cartoons or characters that you loved as a kid that have maybe influenced like where your work is now? Um, I think Richard Scarry books, without a doubt, they were the most memorable ones that I'm looking at religiously as a kid. Like just they're, Yeah, they're amazing. They're so like ram packed with detail. Like and as is, like my um, dot wheel farm kind of pictures that yeah. my brother and I used to do were just just scenes full of all these little, little kind of narratives going on and people going about their daily business and I mean I was, the Richard Scarry ones the fact that I love them so much is because it was they were animals doing driving cars animals running a shop animals yeah. brushing their teeth and, and setting out breakfast and getting dressed and and there's just something that like that as a kid, you just and the kind of wit, way more the wit in them as well, like the, yeah. the little jokes here and there. Yeah, and little things like throughout those books, like the little gold bug character that's a bit like Where's Wallet, like he's mm. somewhere placed on every single page throughout. Um, or li- yeah, little humorous kind of uh, just setups for kind of quite slapstick style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like somebody's dropped a box of nails that's like traipsed across the the road and you see all these cars l- lurching up to you just sort of yeah as a kid you just yeah you can kind of re- revisit them can't you and find different stuff in them oh definitely time. yeah and um, so when did you first realize that you could make drawing a job i guess i had i knew that it could be possible before i decided to do an illustration degree i knew people were out there and um maybe the whole concept of like how much money you need to earn to live and things and but I knew people got paid to like illustrate yeah. books and things and uh, it was quite a sort of I don't know a blinkered vision of, of what illustration could entail before I went to uni it was like um, and throughout university I still did I just it was a lot of fun and learning a load of techniques and I didn't really apply that to what am I actually going to do with this at the end and how is it going to start earning me a living. I just kind of thought oh, something will happen. And What um, year did you go to uni? Uh, so I started Kingston in 99. Okay. Um, so it was kind that's of... 1999. So that was really before the big sort of gold rush in illustration as well wasn't it because a lot of people would study fine art in the end of the 90s instead of going to yeah. do illustration it wasn't seen as a big thing in the way not it is so now much. no um so it's going to say the parameters for what illustration can be have changed phenomenally 
yeah. to, to what it would have been when you were doing illustration, which mainly people led on to doing children's books or editorial Editorial work. stuff. And, I mean, it, um, that's what most of the big illustrators who I liked at the time, they would have been doing editorial illustration. That would have been their bread and butter. Yeah. But now people call themselves illustrators, but they're doing absolutely everything and anything. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, and illustration, graphic design and fine art are all kind of melded together now. Um, so it must have been strange because you were doing it sort of pre-social media yeah. just around the time the internet was starting to appear when people really only used it for email <sighs> yeah, um, yeah so it was all hand drawn techniques it was all it was like year one was and then I think in my second year I was very much stuck in just doing uh, black and white stuff and um, I remember one of my tutors saying your line work and everything is great and like you you're really sort of establishing a style uh but you really do need to int- try introducing some color to pieces here and there um have you thought about doing that digitally and i was like uh no i didn't really know that that was that easy to do and so i think for my 21st birthday um i ended up kind of getting like a huge cream old pc like a, a <laughs> one that was built up supposedly really good for like graphics and um and i got a uh first little graphics tablet a little wacom graphite like a horrible sort of sky bl- sky blue color yeah. and uh but it was oh my god i plugged it all in i had i think the graphics tablet came with a bit of software called coral painter classic mm-hmm. or something yeah. my mind was blown i was like <laughs> Oh my! I mean, it took a little while for the whole using a graphics pen, like for the first time, and that hand-eye disconnect yeah. with looking at a monitor up here yeah. and drawing down there. But after a while, it, it sort of started to become quite natural. Yeah. And I had a scanner, and that's what I would I'd scan all my line work in and just um, do block fill, or like started finding some of these roughy rough brushes and a little bit of texture here and there, and uh yeah all my all of my work i think from my sort of third year end of end of uh degree show was all digitally produced in the and i just got it printed quite large format like a1 a0 and um in fact i think all the line work for that i might have done roughs in pencil and scan them in but it, the even the line work i ended up doing on the wacom in the because i'd kind of honed my skills enough in it to feel competent to produce it all that way. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We just wanted to say thanks to everyone who's listened to the podcast and sent us messages saying how much you've enjoyed it. If you visit our website, noideaspodcast.co.uk, you'll see everything that we reference during each episode. It really helps us to get found more easily on iTunes and move up the charts if you review us or subscribe. So if you enjoy the show, let us know. Um, So after you left uni, um, you had quite a number of different jobs, am I right? Yeah. So I mean... Like compared to say the graphic design course that was running parallel with the illustration one, in the th- in their third year they kind of tended to get work placements at companies and stuff, and that set them up ready for once they graduated they were they hit the ground running. 
the illustration degree kind of didn't do that so much. So it was like, you know, suddenly you, you've got your degree, uh, right, out you go, make some contacts and try and, try and, uh, I mean, and there's typically not full-time illustration job as opposed to like full-time graphic designer jobs. There's a lot more available. And I moved back to Cheltenham as well, which, because our student house, the kind of tenancy agreement had run out on that. So I had to move back home away from London, which was, in hindsight, probably maybe a bad thing to have done. But um, I I just sort of uh, started working with my brother, who was, he had for probably three, four years already been working as a landscape gardener in and around Cheltenham. And, and I was harking back to myself, I had a passion to sort of just be outside anywhere. And it was like, I'd like to do that. Yeah. And it earns me some money and which was incredible. The winter months were a bit harsh, and <laughs> like getting up at seven in the morning, hammering rain, you've got to go out and be pulling weeds out of someone's garden. Um, but as a rule, it, it was, it was, it was a lovely job to have. I mean, I just, there was something about like doing woodwork, like, forestry type um, the smell of kind of chipped wood on a sort of cold yeah. winter's morning was just like like that now I'd rather be doing that than sat at a desk like, yeah um, it's sort of drawing those environments yeah anyway, so I guess that's maybe yeah scenes. Uh, the sort of environment the smells and all that kind of nostalgia coming back from like a childhood and uh, but realistically um, so my girlfriend at the time like We'd met at Kingston. She lived down in Sussex, and I'd gone back to Gloucestershire. And um, came up one weekend, and we were like, this sort of long-distance relationship. Suddenly, after living in the same room, a student house together, it's like suddenly really hard work. Let's move somewhere together that's more of a creative place. And like, we were in the pub one evening. It was just like, Brighton's pretty cool, isn't it? It's like musicy, arty. Yeah, let's let's try and find a place there. And it was literally that simple. We just found a flat really quickly in Hove, and then I was like, "Oh God, right!" So I better find a job. And had a friend down here who had a job in a call center, and it was just like, "Right, well, we need money. Like, it's reasonably well paid." I've I had done a stint of call center work at university in the summer holidays, and so I had that experience. And they took me. It was like an old NTL call center. It's just like hello you're through to john um <laughs> how can i help you with your cable TV? and it's like, it's like please turn your set top box off and uh, <laughs> it was i don't know you yeah it is what it is and i after six months got made redundant the, the entire call center got made redundant which was uh quite funny and i actually got a redundancy payout which at the time i didn't realize was a quite a uh rare thing to happen if you've only been somewhere that long um but then i kind of was like right well i need another job and i some i was harking for some after being tied up in a call center it was like i mean i was doing bits of illustration on the side but i was like oh, i want to do something outside again and, and i got a job working for a marquee company like putting up huge marquees <laughs> for like events and parties and so that I was like physically fit, I was mentally kind of happy, and but financially it wasn't uh, <laughs> going anywhere. It's like, yeah, it's a small kind of family-run company. I'm not going to become like director of this, and not that I wanted to, but 
yeah, it got to the point where like my girlfriend's dad sort of dropped some hints of like, so when are you going to do something that's actually related to your degree? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> well, and it, I, yeah, I, it did get to a point that like the winter months on that job, especially as well, I was outside jet washing down all the vinyl oh, roofs, God. like in bitter cold. And I was like, that is what really sort of started making me reevaluate my whole <laughs> situation. I was like, this I, I'm literally on this big blank white canvas. <laughs> like, what am I doing? Yeah, I just started. Um, I pulled my finger out essentially, and uh, started getting in touch with any creative agency or whatever I could. And so, I, I mean, I had, as I say, like been doing bits of illustration work on the side here and there, and obviously still have my portfolio from Kingston and luckily one guy in Brighton just um, got me in and really liked my work and I, it was just I work for free like I because I've been out of the loop for a while yeah. it's like and this he, he did a lot of animation and illustration it's like if you're prepared to learn how to animate in flash I'm prepared to give you a chance and that was like literally the sort of break that I n needed like, do you still remember how to use Flash? Do you reckon? You yeah, if I opened it up, I've got it on my machine. Have you? I think I could um, certainly make something move from left to right. Like <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I used Flash just for vector drawing for ages because I couldn't stand Illustrator. It's like, <laughs> so do you still? Can you still not stand Illustrator? I, I will try and avoid to use it if I, if I can. Like, I, yeah, I just the animation company you work for. That was Kenoti, yep, in and, Brighton. And uh, you were there for seven years, right? Getting on for seven, yeah, it was very close to being seven years, I think. Um, yeah, I was essentially their first member of staff. So the guy, uh, John Davison, um, was the guy that I approached saying, please okay. give me a, like, a break. <laughs> um, at the time, John was um, going by the name Blunt74. It was essentially get like a one-man band, like animator, illustrator. Um, and he was working in this big old tower block in Brighton, just down from the station called New England House. Um, and I remember the first, when he said, oh, yeah, please come in and meet me. And he gave me the dress, and I got there for the first time, and it was like, uh, set from 28 days later you yeah. sort of go into these yeah. huge open sort of industrial corridors with is it an old council no, building or something um, I think it was uh, a lot of like industrial kind of like um, machines and things in there it is very industrially and um, but it, I mean the reason it's sort of by that point this was like 07 I guess when I first went in there um it was already quite full with like creative studios, yeah. Yeah. People, like people doing pottery and ceramics and um, printmaking and, and then a few digital type studios and whatever, just because the space they got for a relatively central Brighton location was really good. And so John was in, he was like sharing with this other little um, agency and uh, yeah, I kind of spent a few weeks in there with him learning Flash and then it got towards the end of the year and I, he started kind of paying me as a freelancer to it because he was like, oh, you're good enough now to like, I feel too bad like you not being paid for what you're doing. And I, I was like extremely appreciative of that. And it was like, oh, this is going somewhere. And, and then he, uh, he was like, oh, so 
kind of getting together with this um, a friend of mine thinking of setting up more of a kind of actual studio and uh, yeah beginning of 08 um, they both took me to lunch in Brighton and and said oh we'd like you to be our first member of staff and I was like yeah brilliant <laughs> um, I just jumped at it really because I'd be stupid to have turned that down I um, and so it started out and was there kind of like animator slash illustrator slash designer um, couple, two three months later I think we got somebody else another sort of creative on board and then a couple months after that another person joined us and yeah and then we were kind of a unit of like five people maybe for a year or two maybe um, and we got to work on some really great projects I mean there was a mainly flash animation stuff for to start out with like there were some flash banners which a lot of people that that is oh what do you animate flash stuff for <laughs> banners and it's I mean they they were tough it's like animate a flash banner and send us the file and it has to be under like 10k <laughs> in file size you're like <laughs> like optimizing every single element of something down to its before yeah. it's without it looking like an absolute pile of rubbish it's it was hard work um then you'd get much nicer job like a few like music videos to work on and things um Fuji and Miyagi oh, yeah. um John was I think quite friendly with those guys and um yeah got to work on a couple of those with him um again in flash and amazing yeah it was just really nice var variation of projects and then we Sarah who was the other director of Kenoti had come from a more sort of children's media entertainment background so we got in we had she had contacts in in that world where we started doing like interactive content and games and things for like CBBC and Disney and um, and as the com as the sort of studio grew we just uh, got into a little bit more kind of corporate work or like cool project or projects were considered more cool like adverts on MTV like which were some characters that I designed oh, amazing. it was the first job I think I remember I got asked to style frame it up and it had to be like these characters to promote um, the Isle of MTV it was like a music festival that they had in Malta this was like yeah in 08 I think um, and they, they want the brief was these couple of kind of run down sort of characters who suddenly got transported from their grey life in England over to Malta and were sort of given VIP treatment and <laughs> so I just drew these couple of really grotty look at a cat and a dog character just like really crude sort of sketches on um, just A4 copier paper and that got sent to the like whoever the um, contact at MTV and they were like we love these characters they were really rough at that stage and I just thought this is like early stages they're they're going to be developed and whatever and they were like we love these really really like these characters um, and essentially they ended up staying that crude pretty I mean, we ended up doing seven eight nine commercials using those same characters it was like over a couple of year period like they it became like one of their most successful kind of commercial um, 
campaigns, I think. So it's sort of which, one of your first successes, really, even though it's part of the company. You did the characters, right? Yeah, and they were yeah. like characters that I just um, was not in a. I just was doodling away characters. I hadn't sort of let the brief get to me too much, and that they actually sort of went for them, and I was like, oh wow. I wasn't even re- too trying too hard. Yeah. I thought these wouldn't be right, so I, I was I was happy because they were just purely sort of my own output. Yeah. Do they have and names? Then, Did you name them? Uh, as now, like my naming conventions are terrible. Like <laughs> cat and dog. Right. right. <laughs> not, I, I think. Not, not Jason. <laughs> cat and dog and cat. Cat and dog. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> terrible. Um, no, not Jason. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that was... <laughs> uh, yeah. So when did you um, make the move to go freelance and what made you kind of want to, want to do that? 2013, I went along to Pictoplasma, the character design conference mm-hmm. in Berlin um, with a colleague of mine from Kenoti and it was just mind-blown sort of type situation. Was that the first one you went to? That was the yeah. first one I went to. It was a... Um, yeah, we kind of went along uh, for sort of inspiration, but to also kind of like bring back feedback to connote it. And kind of Pictoplasm is very much a kind of conference slash festival that is like done by the people for the people. It's not a very kind of loads of big corporates talking down at a group of sort of aspiring kind of illustrators and animators and whatever. So I think there's that there's equal admiration for like the people on stage uh, could just very easily be one of the yeah. people sat in the crowd there's and no separation not not really and it's why I've ended up going back there f- four times now to Pictoplasma is yeah just a, a great environment and I came away from that absolutely buzzing with ideas of my own and there were one guy um, El Grand Shemeco I think was one of the most notable ones in that year who talked that had used social media as a platform to kind of start getting himself commissioned work. Okay. And it was, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like I'd been a bit blind to that and I'd been so tied up in commercial jobs and not doing my own thing anymore. Like, uh, so just as soon as we got home, it was like set up an Instagram account and just started hammering out like, personal work self totally self-initiated that's things the, the big bear thing is the first thing it is yeah. yeah the first ever picture on my feed was like just after i'd left berlin and i'd i used a little bit of software on my uh samsung phone at the time called photoshop touch where i literally just drew with my thumb like over a photo i'd just taken um and that became a sort of bit of an ongoing series for and it is even now like if I kind of scroll through my fit and just see like the evolution of that's my yeah, kind of we were going to ask about that actually is you can see how your work has grown and changed and how you've stayed within your aesthetic the whole way through from the from the uh, big bear stuff right the way through to now you can see the journey and how you've uh, on Instagram I do think that helps you to relate to your fans in in quite a an um, quite a personal way where they can see how you've developed and it's not just all the shiny end pieces it's all the workings out are all in there as well I think so um, I don't tend to put much 
of my actual project work on that it's all mainly i'd say 90 percent of just personal work it's my like little kind of platform for just expressing my true sort of like creative splurges of this is what i'm feeling this day it's good because it's quite Uh, it's quite egoless like just to be able to just share stuff without thinking from like a marketing perspective or anything like that just to be able to say oh, i made this i like it i'm going to share it yeah that's a very pure way to use to use instagram i think yeah it's just sharing ideas isn't it especially if you you, you have an idea you create a vision yeah. and then it's and the whole thi- like instagram like i mean i try to be as instant as i can with it i don't most of the pieces that i put up on there and not laboured over I might be thinking about an idea for a while and then but when I do get an idea because it just tends to happen like that I'm not I'm not looking to come up with an idea things just happen I don't know what it is either mood related or something I've literally just seen on the walk down to work or and then I'm like I have to do that whilst it's I, I just have a zone that I get into and I'm like I know that I can do this if you stay on an idea too long it just disintegrates doesn't it yeah you have to like make it within a set period of time or you, it just loses its beginning essence I think. It, yeah loses all energy and kind of especially if it's something very relevant to that particular day if it's topical or I mean the Big Bear stuff at the very beginning was like it was like day to day sort of documentation of my mundane like traveling to work and that thing but it was me just looking at at that and sort of see like making a bit of fun out of the things that a lot of people maybe just wouldn't even consider a little narrative like it's just did you find that did you sort of look forward to doing them in the morning so did you look for places where you could like did your brain change to be looking for opportunities occasionally and that even now sometimes it's quite I have had some sort of hiatuses on Instagram where I'm just I hit a bit of a creative block I can't force it when it's which is why there have been a couple of times where I've just not done anything for a while and it's just like the time it will come back again I mean just pre-pictoplasma this year I had a real creative start I mean I, I fell ill with like I got pneumonia after the Easter holidays and was out of action for like I don't know best part of a month and like my Instagram feed reflects that I was not in a my, I totally hit a creative rock bottom of just like Pugh. I'd just finished my first picture book like which had been like quite an intense period of like work time and then went on an Easter holiday and then got ill and it was just like generating content for Instagram then was just not anywhere yeah. up on my first world problem right <laughs> yeah it was like uh <laughs> That can, that can wait for another day and then I went to Pictoplasma and with within hope that um, that would be that inspiration boost on it and I, it totally was I just immersed myself for five days in hanging around with like-minded folk and like being bombarded with amazing animations and really inspiring talks and it was just like that's what I needed and it came back and like I've just got on a roll again with a little kind of just self-initiated series of sticking like, making inanimate objects yeah, that like dogs get it's just you've got to hit the ground running when you've got the inspiration yeah. on you because it's yeah. like when you when you 
um, capitalize on inspiration, you tend to gain more and more energy, I think, as you go. And each thing you do that you, you like builds you on to be able to do another thing. Um, and it's, if you stall, that's normally when you start to get the fear that you'll fall into another sort of fallow period. Totally. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, just strike whilst the iron is hot or whatever they say. <laughs> like, I just have to with that, with the personal work. It's, it's, sometimes it's, sound seems slightly diva-esque. It's like, I'm not going to do anything today because I'm not in the right creative frame of mind. And I was a bit like, more like that at university. It was, if I wasn't in the right frame of mind to draw, I just got on my BMX and I got the train into London and BMXed all day on South Bank, then came home, went to the pub or whatever, or, and then I'd, I would literally know on the days where I, I woke up and I was, today I will draw. <laughs> and it was like, as good, and sure enough, I would, because I wasted maybe too many days like trying to sit there and draw them. I just knew that I wasn't in the right frame of yeah. mind, but I tried to keep thrashing it out, and it just got into a right old man. At the end of it, it was stress, and I was like, yeah, "What a waste really of a stressful. day!" Yeah. I just, uh. so I'd learnt to just go off and do something else that would, hopefully, in turn, like inspire me to do something in the long run, and that with the personal stuff now is always the case. I just, yeah, not fret too much about if I can't generate something, just do it when it comes and. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And yeah, so one of your uh, self-initiated projects that we really love was your Alpha Sketch project. Okay, was yeah, Was that one yeah. that kind of got picked up? I think that is something... Um, that was one that I'd more like set myself an actual brief okay. on um, rather than just relying on like spontaneous thoughts that came into my head and just produce them as a one-off thing. And this, this was a bit more of a kind of... I suppose it was the first self-initiated project that had a plan in place. Okay. Obviously, the alphabet kind of seemed... I'd, I'd known people that had done, like, alphabet-based projects, or and I thought, well, that's a good premise. It's not too long. You're quite a set in 26. Yeah, and you interacted and, uh, with your audience. With the yeah, project, right? so I thought, rather than me generating all the content for these, um, I will put a post up on my Facebook page so this was all the content was essentially generated from my sort of closer friend network mm -hmm. I'd put a post on Facebook saying your favorite object character or animal beginning with the letter a and then yeah and I, I think I put nine a nice uneven number of things that I just thought I could because I had the idea that I would have the letter in the middle and I'd just kind of try and make some sort of a narrative where all nine suggestions somehow stitched together to a little scene some didn't work at all because they were so random and but I tried to stick with whatever people said that fit the kind of criteria of an animal a character or an object it's like I kind of had to go with that in the end and um yeah, I mean, B, there were some people I had to Google or characters I had to because I was like, I've never, I don't know who that is. And, and that was good sometimes. It was yeah. like, I, I didn't know who, like, Bob James was, the famous fisherman. I don't either. But <laughs> Bob James was on a boat um, <laughs> fishing, obviously. Um, somebody had said a butt plug. 
So it, <laughs> it was like, oh, that's a legit object that's going in. I would, I'd have to kind of reply under the Facebook things whether I was like, yep, that's in. It's like, no, that's out. <laughs> um, so there was Bob James fishing with a butt plug. There was Bert, Bert Bacharach riding on a bike. There was Big Bear. I think he was in the boat as well. And then there was a couple of other things, but you know, I can't remember. It was, um, but yeah, it. People after I guess like the first three, four, five letters, really started, yeah, getting on board with that. And there were some people getting super competitive, and they were like, pers- direct messaging me like, uh, "Can I get one in for the letter E ready?" And I was like, "Nope." And I had to be like quite strict <laughs> with them. And then there'd be people bickering on the thread of like, "Oh no, you let them have that on the last one." And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, "Come on, this is." This it's is getting a bit out of control. Yeah, it was it was interesting to see, and the competitiveness between friends of, was insane. So it, it got to the end, and it was like, it felt it was it was quite intense because my uh, idea was that I would really do one a day, um, but I think in around just about a month's time, it was just over. I guess I had this then twenty six sort of images that I'd posted and people I I tagged the people that had put a suggestion in obviously onto the post and they were like, oh yeah this is great but I was like then what do I do with this at the end because it had it had built up enough kind of like uh conversation throughout and I was like I can't just like let this die now I mm. must be able to do something with it and uh so I just thought well how about creating a little box set of the cards so I got um can't remember how many I got done now, but a few. It was a relatively limited edition of the twenty-six postcards, and then I'd sort of bought these little cardboard boxes that I sort of hand-painted a front onto it, and um, so it was called entitled the Alpha Sketch Project, I think. Um, and yeah, I, I think I took them along to the first High Fest, Hastings Illustration Festival. Um, I had a yeah, number of the box sets available, and then also just individual, like A to Z. And it was a bit like, how many of those do I get? Like, people are gonna maybe want to spell out like a name or yeah. something. And uh, I was like, so do I get like less Zs? And <laughs> then weirdly, like people would come up, and I mean, I had to. It was a family-friendly uh, illustration fair, and families would come up with it. Kid would pick one up, and if they <laughs> if they could start reading, it, mummy, what's a <laughs> what's a cloaca? Which I don't know if anyone knows. I know like, what yeah, what is a cloaca? <laughs> maybe I should just leave that for people okay. to Google. Yeah, yeah, good idea. <laughs> other on other ones, there is like mummy, Bob James butt plug. <laughs> it's like yeah. So I had to give a little kind of a sort of advisory. These might not be suitable for your kids to have on their walk. Like it's a sort of alphabet learning kind yeah. of. <laughs> but uh, oh dear, the um, kind of gift online sort of well, not just online, but stationary gift company kind of came to my stall and they saw those. And I also had another range of creature cards that I'd I'd printed as like greetings cards. Uh, they were like, oh, we really like these. Would would you be up for us kind of producing them as well? And it, yeah, that went on from there and they kind of produced a range of them as well, just as postcards. 
Uh, so a couple of years you did uh, a card range with uh, for Mister Men. Was that that was with Odeer? Yeah, right? that was with Odeer. So how did that um, come about? Um, well, Odeer approached me and said, "How would you feel? Like, I'm going to float this idea to you. What would what would your thoughts be on redesigning some of the Mister Men and Little Miss characters for a card range?" And I was like, "This has to be like a." A joke, you know. So I was like, <laughs> Dream, yeah. like something I grew up with as a child. Really, like, nah, nobody's going to allow us to tamper with those. Um, they were like, no, no, this is a legit project. Um, and it like a lot a while after I found out that Sanrio had actually approached Odin and said, "Oh, would you guys be up for doing a Mister Men range?" Um, Odin were like, "Well, we would only kind of want to do it if we could put our own stamp on it." And they asked me to do like five samples, I think. So Mr. Bump, Mr. Lazy, Mr. Tickle, Little Miss Stubborn or something. And um, I don't remember what the fifth one was. But And I said, how far can I push it? Like, like do I totally reinvent these characters? Because that was, was a bit like, that could be cool, but at the same time, that's more work. Like, that's harder yeah. to do. And they were like, no, they need to be the same colour pretty much recognisable as the same shape so but just done in your aesthetic like yeah. your kind of quite loose spontaneous mark make with a bit of texture overlaid and it's like yeah, the that's straight to cover that, version that, isn't it yeah essentially which one was um, your favourite one to to tackle out of all of them I'd say Mr Tickle was still one of the favourites I think Mr. Bump was like one of my favourites as a kid, and he was—I was really happy with how he turned out. He's quite, quite cute, and yeah. you sort of—I don't know—you just empathise with him. He's just, <laughs> <laughs> um, but Mr. Tickle, more so from the story of like, he went through maybe the most versions. A lot of them were like, I did them, and again because of their sort of the fluidity of the mark making, they had. I couldn't labour over them. They mm. were just like, they came out like, some of them I'd do several times because make first mark and it'd be like, no, rubbish. Um, Mr. Tickle was more like, the characteristics I gave him weren't weren't right. He he started off being a, too, uh, what's the word? Like quite a sort of unsavoury <laughs> type of person. Um <laughs> I think because I'd given him fingernails or something, and they were like, and like quite a menacing grin, <laughs> and it was just like, he is not somebody that you would want that tickling. Quite like, this horrific. Yeah, amazing. They were like, lose the fingernails, <laughs> and maybe like shift his kind of features down so he's not got this like horrible like gurning kind of, <laughs> 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 and then we may be onto something that's kind of suitable for all ages um the samples went down really well and they were like green lighted straight away i seem to recall and i was like wow and then they were like okay so there's another 36 of them or something that we need doing here's the list it was like a sort of half and half like half of them little miss characters half of them mr men characters um and i did all of the characters and they got sent off and i think there were just a couple of minor amends um and then they went into production as cards and like seeing the and they got rolled out across all paper chases and other sort of stockists that like oh dear supply um but yeah they, I, 
I was quite surprised that they were just sort of signed off so quickly. Yeah, it was... So is there any chance that you're going to get to re-illustrate some of the books? So I have actually um, have actually done one of the books right. so far, like Mr. Tickle. Um, then that's uh, so I've done all the artwork for it, and it's um, I yeah I I don't know any more about that now about exciting project. Uh, cool. when that could be out or anything yet. But that again was. Uh, an extremely nostalgic project to be yeah. like actually going through the but the story remains totally the same and essentially like the the compositions of each page like the content the brief was that I couldn't just mm. like totally make up my own sort of seat in a few places I did and I I crowbarred in a dog into as many pages as I could right. as well <laughs> even the it was like the colors for me are like so nostalgic in those books as well yeah yeah that sort of brings back kind of looking at them as a kid and to have the color palettes kind of there as a sort of heavy reference yeah. is yeah it was a pleasure to oh, work probably. on really you talk about shoehorning in dogs <laughs> dogs feature really heavily in your work oh yeah do you, do you own a dog no no <laughs> would you own a dog? <laughs> uh i would and this has started to be a family conversation <laughs> uh you must be like, really familiar with all the breeds though after your See, funnily enough, no, I was chatting to someone on the phone the other day um, about not knowing enough, like, actual breeds. Um, I'd, but you rename I'm, them all, don't you? So you probably can't remember the real names. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm 44. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. White dog. <laughs> White fluffy dog. I'm very, very literal. Like that. It's actual breed. I'm, things like Spaniel. I suppose the ones that I was more familiar with on the farm, like, kind of. Springer Spaniels and Border Collies and Jack Russells and Border dogs, Terriers yeah. and more so I think Beagles and Pointers and all that kind of but uh, I mean Dachshounds tend to be the dog that I probably am, if you've got all of my dog related drawings together Dachshounds are probably quite high up there and I think that's purely their sort of the visual yeah there's a lot you the can do sort of comedic value yeah. of a dachshund. I mean, that one up on the wall there, the the one hanging over an old school telephone. It's just they lend themselves to so yeah. many funny situations. And I mean, I do love dachshund. I probably wouldn't have a dachshund if we chose a dog because the practical. Like, I'd like to go out on massive long walks, mm. and they're not the sort of dog that you can really drag through a field do get asked quite a bit like why do you draw dogs off and you must have one and it's like no and possibly that is the reason why I draw them so off is because I don't have it so it's like this some kind of a therapeutic thing I draw the dogs that I don't have but then I mean we Chris my studio mate has a dog obviously like a little um like a King Charles and something else cross. She's a li- right. quite a da- small little dog, um, golden Ian Honey, her name is. She's lovely. And so to have a bit of dog kind of presence here and there um, is nice. But at the moment, just having children is... Yeah, amen. Is a, <laughs> it's enough of a challenge to look after. Um, so was it last year, your Best in Show show at... Unlimited. Correct. Yeah, um, that was amazing. It was really sort of humorous and kind of every different breed that you could imagine. I th- th- yeah, they were kind of uh, clear 
like real breeds and then slightly kind of ambiguous like what is oh there was one with five legs that yeah (laughs) i don't know it was a bit uh kind of uh, i don't know would it have been like a bit of a setter slightly shaggy kind of Mm. but like long legged and i particularly liked your wall your doodle wall that you did with all the different kind of dogs my kids love the dogs obviously doing a poo and having a way and all, all that stuff. Just but natural dog. That wall thing. of kind of conversation pieces was just amazing, and like you caught the essence of all the different dogs. Um, it was kind of like your self-initiated projects that you do on Instagram a little bit. But what were the challenges of putting a show solo show together? Oof. Was that your first one? It kind of evolved as I was doing it. Like I did all the prints. There was half the back wall of the gallery was like print designs that were all digitally printed, like. Um, they were kind of more bold graphic things, so like the dog over the phone up there, yeah, um like dogs in slightly sort of odd situations and um sort of abstracted from like a real life the then there was a whole series of so this was something that was maybe a bit more of a kind of gamble was to do a whole wall of like actual just original pieces, like one off hmm. big sort of splodgy paintings. And for me, it was, it, like I was saying earlier, like tr- just breaking out of my comfort zone of uh, doing something in the same style. And this, although the mechanics of it, like do a big blob of paint and then put some features on it and make it look like a a dog was there. But I was doing it in like analog format. Yeah. And that was, no I've not... Button been yeah, no. I properly freaked out with it a lot of the time of just that white page like blank page phobia of I'd be set up over there and I was like big like 50 by 70 sheets which for me was huge like even if I do stuff in a sketchbook it's generally very small yeah so I was properly out of my comfort zone I was like oh god um I just had to properly let go and just make marks and I mean I'd the amount I probably have more ruined sheets of paper than <laughs> there's like one big brush mark or like you try and do something it's without thinking too much that's the the hard yeah. bit is to get into that mindset of not just be totally free flowing but as soon as you start thinking oh, I'll try and make this look a bit like a neck oh, and it yeah. and it ruins it I'm like right that's on the recycling pile um yeah, they 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 ended up uh, doing really well in the gallery, and like both the gallery and myself were really chuffed with how that went down. They just, I, I ended up kind of doing more as the exhibition went on because it was on for a whole month, and uh, yeah, just a very satisfying kind of thing to have done, and just seeing your work in one spot, like it's a great like space in, there as well. It is like a great spot in Brighton, definitely. Yeah. Um, so coming soon, you've got uh, your first book um, called Mini Rabbit. Yeah. So it's coming out in September, is that right? Yeah, September the 6th is when it's out in the UK. Um, it's got Mini Rabbit, Not Lost. Um, and you wrote it and illustrated wrote it? Wrote it and illustrated it. So what it. was that process like? Oh, it was... Uh, I, I thought it would be easier than it was, let's put it that way. It, um, probably been the hardest project to date that I've done I mean writing 
a children's picture is sort of aimed at sort of three to five year olds. Um, I know that it won't just be bought for three to five year olds, but um, to write a text for that age group and have a nice rounded story that's got that kind of arc and a good sort of start and end and within 32 pages so oh, that can't be that hard. Like, I'm sure it would take a bit and but it really like it really really tested me and I kind of had numerous times of just thinking I cannot do this back when I was at university like children's picture book illustration was always something that yeah I foresaw as a as a career that a lot of illustrators go down mm. and do and it happened again from doing self-initiated stuff yeah, so mini, mini rabbit, rabbit started as i don't even know why i think i was maybe just trying to not draw, draw a dog for once i was playing around a little bit more in photoshop with like photographic textures and then working into those and again it was it just, that just came out of me trying another kind of uh like aesthetic approach and and I enjoyed doing that and out of that started coming a little series of this little mini rabbit character normally sort of bang in the middle of the scene and just changing up these environments it was like he remained a constant yet changing his total environment surroundings and stuff with the lighting and the mood of the scene um, and it got really good reaction people were like oh is this going to be a game this is for yeah, a book because right? I was going to say it would be perfect for a computer uh, game Cause, yeah, yeah cause platform it, kind of because the character remains in the centre that's what happens to all platforms yeah. basically the background moves I think that is what and because you've I probably, a few like scenes with him I'd well. like crudely animated him just because I actually and I, I do sort of know how to animate a bit I get um, doing a little walk cycle is relatively sort of once you get that going, it's, mm. you can kind of move a background past him quite simply. And I mean, that the, the potential for that, uh, there are plans, I hope, to maybe do something more um, like a game or app or something for much further down the line, maybe. But um, do you own the rights beyond the books then for other usage? For yeah. Computer games? Do you have to run it past the publisher? Um, not a hundred percent sure. Probably, yeah. I w I would like discuss anything, anything really off topic. No, no, because it would be the books are the thing that are coming out first, obviously, yeah. and that that is for a children's audience. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't suddenly go off and make a kind of rated eighteen <laughs> mini rabbit game, <laughs> sort of where he's suddenly like out of his backpack pulls like guns like <laughs> battle royale style kind of uh, I <laughs> uh, yeah I think I'm pretty sure I'd get into trouble for doing that um, retain but I retain the I, I do retain the rights to kind of control to some extent like where Mini Rabbit goes and like picturization rights and doing like an animation a little short animation or maybe like a little TV series or um, or a game or an app or like a little interactive app even um, you don't have an agent do you I think we've talked about this um, no I don't <clears throat> and you use the association um, of illustrators yes um, they yeah so they've been like I've been with them for I guess just like a year and a half now their sort of help on that side of it was invaluable and in the end I got a deal to do the three books like which 
I was yeah beyond happy with it. I was just like, this is I'm so chuffed with it. But then as I was getting into doing book one, and I was like, oh my god, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm really gonna screw this up. Like I just I can't. What have I done? The second one will be an easier process, won't it? Because I guess it was the first time. I, I think there will be there's a lot of things that I've learned definitely from doing book one and um, I did most of book one in the style that I kind of felt was right and then we had a big chat about it and it was like it pretty much went back to the drawing board wow, okay. with not a huge amount of time left in the schedule and it was like that was like what I, I was like oh my god I, I'm not sure I can do this I was like and then it, yeah I just kind of it worked itself out and then I was much, much happier with the direction that it's now kind of come out at. Do you think that um, his character has solidified over the course of making the book? Do you think he's become something more real, more tangible since you started working on him? Because with the um, the work on Instagram, some of that can be quite flippant in its nature, not in a sort of negative way. You know, you can make something, you can put it up. Yeah. It doesn't have to then have a narrative. It doesn't have to grow or have a set character. No. You have to carry through. And maybe even... The uh, Mr. Men stuff allowed you to see a character and know the characteristics you have to give it almost naturally. Do you feel that the character became more sort of solid as the book went went on? Yeah. I mean, the original one-off pieces I did were fine because, again, although they were sort of naturally stitching together as a, a narrative that he was on this journey of some kind, I didn't have to think, like, why has he got to here and what is he off to do it's just he was just changing in environments and that was that but to do the book it was it had to be stitched together as a really sort of get to know him as a character and I'm and there's something I've like said to my editor a lot that mini rabbit essentially is me like he's this very stubborn little character quite a, I mean he has remained constant as far as like just visual he's stayed the same throughout um but his attitude to stuff is, yeah, he's kind of, he doesn't like to listen to other people. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and he just thinks he's doing the, he's like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Um, just ignore it. And then in a roundabout way, he kind of ends up back at the start. And it's, but at the same time, he's like this, he is quite an isolated little character. And me going back to my like childhood again of him, just this sort of solitary figure like out and about and there are sort of slightly lonely aspects to that and like maybe that sort of stubborn persona is like hiding kind of more like insecurities and stuff um and having to really delve into that in order to form the narrative of the story was i don't know maybe it was affecting me in some way and i was like having to think about the before and the after it was like that's what really tested me I think probably um I was like this is this is not easy this is probably why I just do a lot of the time like one-off things because then I don't have to think more about it it's like I'm digging too much into (laughs) but I mean it's amazing I mean when I was at art school we used to do life drawing as you do in art our tutor once told us that pretty much no matter what you're drawing or who you're drawing you're actually drawing yourself a lot of the time so yeah. your own face and your own body is what you know more than anyone else so you're drawing an amalgamation of what you're seeing and what your brain already knows about yourself your own face and your own features and maybe it's a sort of uh, uh, 
psychological version of that really in the in in these characters there is a little piece of you imbued into each of them which probably happens with a lot of people's work more than you i really do think it does yeah um no matter how abstracted someone's work is like somehow like if you drill into it i'm sure it's there's like mood or emotions or something that is taken from that like that person's kind of background or like inner character and whatever it's just I mean mine are yeah I sort of quite often just portray my own sort of day to day thoughts or whatever through character like yeah. um, animals or whatever I just find that it kind of separates it enough for it to not be too too real and other people can kind of relate to it in a oh there's a cute dog yeah. doing something that's actually quite sad but it's funny because it's a dog if it mm. was a human character yeah. I don't draw humans very often at all because I I do struggle with that and I think that is something I will try to overcome at some point because it will be a challenge that I n- need to tackle but um, yeah storytelling using characters and like Richard Scarry is just you are able to make commentary aren't you in a bit like, of a dream yeah, world yeah. and I think I like to just get into that headspace it sort of get away from reality <laughs> it's like to me that's a happier place to be when does the book come out it's like a little uh 30 40 second uh animated spot to promote the book when it comes out on september 6th so that i think will be available sort of in august um are you going to be touring well. with it or re- doing any readings or anything like that have you got anything booked in yeah hopefully so i was up at my publisher's uh, a couple of days ago and talking with the PR um, guys and everything about events that I would like to do and um, they would they would like to, for me to go to kind of bookshops and do like window installs and it's like little exhibitions that I'd like to do so in, at the bottom of Colonnade House my gallery the gallery space down below there's a uh, the small gallery I'd quite like to turn into a sort of little immersive mini rabbit kind of because it's quite a it's coming out obviously autumn um the color palette when people see the mm, cover is very gorgeous. sort of autumnal feel and I think a lot of the um bookshops would be keen to have that it, it just sort of sets it up for mm. quite um obvious sort of window sort Absolutely. of displays like yeah. trees and foliage and focus of mini rabbit as this little character in the middle and the books on display or something and so we normally end the podcast with some quick fire questions right so i think dan's first up yeah so um as an inspiration would you choose the city or the wilderness Ooh, i might have to say the city now because i feel the wilderness has already given me plenty of inspiration from like spending a good part of my childhood yeah, there. Yeah. so yeah city life definitely obviously lends itself to so many different like narrative situations that you see going on so yeah i'd have to say city are there any other brands like the mr men brand that you would like to work with oh yeah so I, I think i'd love to do some work for something like the wwf not the, not the wrestling <laughs> world wildlife fund or um like dogs trust or 
like yeah something kind of wildlife nature based like that would be amazing to do some some kind of campaign or like um product range or something I, I don't know yeah just that would be an incredible thing to do um is there something you're not so good at but you love doing oh yes <laughs> talking <laughs> articulating my thoughts into uh yeah probably that i can't, i really do struggle to speak what is in my head a lot of the time which is probably why i chose to draw as a living right but um yeah i, I really wish i could get my thoughts out clearer sometimes i like this answer i'm starting to ramble <laughs> so yeah I'd, I'd rather be able to say stuff in a more concise way yes okay um what dog would you be oh uh something like i'd be a crossbreed <laughs> uh, uh something like a pointer dalmatian kind of stature okay. maybe crossed with a bit of jack russell beagle kind of character which Mr. Men character would you be? Probably, uh, probably Mr. Prob yeah, from a sort of purely uh, aesthetic thing. Like if people, t if I was relating my sort of, I, I'm known for just looking quite smiley all the time. So probably Mr. Happy. But I think that's a good one. I don't, I yeah, think, I couldn't imagine you as like Mr. Grumpy or. Mr. Tickle's a bit too like Trump, isn't it? It's a bit too uh, <laughs> too hands Mr. on. Mr. Mr. Mean. No, Mr. Mean was one that I actually got told to make make him look like more of an ass <laughs> <laughs> when I drew him. So I obviously, made him look too too nice. Not mean um, enough. Not mean enough. Uh, yeah, Mr. Happy or well, Mr. Tickle again. Though I would, but it's just a bit wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well um thank you so much for being on the show thank you and, for uh, having me on here it's, we're yeah. really excited about the book and the mr men books as well down the line so. brilliant yeah thanks again thank you very much you've been listening to the no ideas podcast today's episode was sponsored by bison beer see what they're up to at bisonbeer.co.uk Original music was by Tomino. Check out his music at tomino.co.uk. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more ideas.